Let's begin by a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, this is the day that you have made. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that is new every morning and every day that you have created this day for us to walk in and for us to walk in the good works that you have prepared for us to do in Christ Jesus, not in any way that we earn your favor by doing good, but because you have done so much for us, our life can be in response, a response of obedience to you walking in these good things. I pray that today through your word, in these few minutes, that you will encourage the folks at Doolin's Grove, you will encourage the uh, folks around the world who may be watching this anywhere they may be at any time. Encourage them through your word, Lord. May they be built up and strengthened in the faith to continue on glorifying you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we continue our journey through 2 Corinthians. Um, 2 Corinthians is a letter that Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul wrote to a church many, many, many years ago, many centuries ago, a church in a city called Corinth near Greece. It is a letter, and because it's a letter, it has what's called uh, historical context to it. There was a, a writer to it. There were recipients. There was a date when it was written. All those things are important for understanding the context of the passage and the meaning of of the book of Second Corinthians. And we're not going to go into all that, but just simply to say that it was and is God's word through Paul to the Corinthian church. And it is God's word for us today. It is God's inspired word, and it is to be taken by us as God's authoritative word for us so we can approach it that way and, and learn from it. In our journey through 2 Corinthians, uh, we've reached chapter 10. Chapter 10, the beginning of chapter 10, is really a major transition point in this letter that Paul has written. Uh, it's it's almost as if perhaps Paul's been writing this letter along or dictating it to somebody and he stops and it's lunch break time. And then he comes back to it after lunch or in the afternoon or whatever. And here at chapter 10, we get a very different tone in the letter. In fact, from chapter 10 all the way to the end of the book, there's there's really a different tone in here. I'm just going to read our scripture passage for today, which is chapter 10, verses 1 to 6, and then we'll just work through this uh, with some, some thoughts based on this passage. So chapter 10, beginning at verse 1, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble and face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. 
We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Something I learned several years ago that's helped me quite a bit in in dealing with situations when people are angry. I learned that behind the display of anger, there's always a hurt buried in there somewhere. It is the hurt buried underneath the anger that, that actually produces the anger. Now, that's not a judgment on whether, I mean, there's sometimes when anger is an appropriate response, but it's helped me to have gracious, more gracious responses when I can see and understand that this person who's displaying a lot of anger, beyond that or beneath that is a display of hurt. And I'd have to say here, it's not an exaggeration to say that Paul's gotten angry here. Maybe not as angry as he might appear in some other places, but he's, he's angry. Um, and, and to recognize that under his anger, there is hurt, which has produced that. Why is it that Paul's angry? Difficult to piece together all the circumstances, but just in this, this passage, I think we see in the first couple of verses, some real hints as to why he's reacting the way he's, he's going to begin really defending himself and his ministry and the ministry of the gospel through chapter 10, 11, 12, and into 13 from, from the rest of this time. As I said, the tone of the book, the letter really changes at this point. So what is it that's, that sparked this, this sort of outrage in Paul? Well, I think we see one thing here in verse one. Let me just read this again. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humble and face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. Behind this and looking at the whole context of second Corinthians, I think we can see here that there were some in the Corinthian church who were trying to discredit Paul's ministry by saying just what he said here. Ah, you're, you're really humble when face to face, but, but bold when you're away from us. In other words, Paul's spreading the sort of disrepute for Paul of saying, ah, Paul's, uh, his bark is a lot worse than his bite. He speaks really bold words. He talks really big when he's hiding behind a pen and he's 300 miles away. But when he's face to face, is not impressive at all. Nothing. He's a wimp. This is, I think this is behind what some of what Paul's anger is here. And, and there's another clue then. And when we go into verse two, where Paul says, I beg of you that when I'm present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against. And, and here's the part I'm sure that, that again, raises his anger that I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Some in Corinth are actually 
spreading the rumor or spreading the accusation that Paul and those who are with him live and have motivations according to the flesh or based on sinful human nature, selfish motives, uh, uh, things that are not based on walking in the spirit. Now, with these two things, no wonder Paul is getting a little bit angry here and going to defend himself and his ministry. The reputation of the gospel is really at stake. But as we see this, again, we recognize that Paul had a personal relationship with these Corinthians. He had spent time with them. He loved them. He sacrificed for them. He served them with the gospel freely and willingly. And there is at least some in the church that are backbiting him like this. Nothing cuts so deep as when someone or some people that you have loved, you've poured out your life for, you've served them, self-sacrificed for them, and they wound you deeply. Nothing cuts so deep as that. And that's what Paul's feeling right here. So we understand where Paul's coming from a little bit. And he launches then in the next verses, three to six, he launches into really a, a neat military figure of speech as he just begins to build uh, his explanation of defense of, of who he is and his ministry and ultimately the gospel ministry. There's this, he uses this military metaphor uh, in a powerful way here. Verses three to six, let me read that again. So he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Paul's ministry said is is like a conquering army that comes and attacks a fortress and tears it down and obliterates its walls and its building, demolishing what he calls strongholds of resistance. This is military attacking figure of speech language. The walls and the buildings of these strongholds are they're they're crashing down and they're tumbling in front of Paul and and the ministry that he has based on God's word and God's power they're coming under attack and they're falling it reminds me of what Jesus said to his disciples when he said this is my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it we sometimes think of that as a defensive idea, but it's actually an offensive. We're going to attack the very gates of Hades, of death itself, and they will not prevail against the church of God because it is God's church. In verse 5, uh, Paul gets gets more specific about these strongholds and, and what he's talking about here. What are these 
strongholds of resistance that that he's he and his ministry and the gospel ministry that they that he attacks and demolishes and crushes verse 5 paul identifies them as arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of god when i for many years when i read this passage i kind of had a vague notion and and i believe it's incorrect now that paul is talking about some sort of amazing hocus pocus uh spiritual warfare attack in which um people are and 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 he's enabled to debate and demolish uh arguments and and put people down in a spiritual attack almost literally like uh warfare and that's the figure of speech certainly that he's using i'm not describing it very well but i believe that uh what paul's talking about here is more in line with these what i mean is these strongholds are really arguments or reasonings if you will to use kind of an older word that are embedded in our minds and in our hearts that put up barriers fortresses if you will strongholds against the truth of god and who he is and the truth of god's word so what are these 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 arguments or thought patterns if you will that are embedded in our minds and in our hearts that resist the gospel um, the, these are barriers to the truth of who god is and and we'll talk about that i'm going to name a couple of those but he goes on with this military metaphor also saying that he's ready to take every thought captive to obey christ again the conquering military is going to take captive these these thought patterns that have set themselves up in resistance to the truth of the gospel and he's and they're going to be taken captive and become and put in the service of obedience to jesus christ that's an awesome military metaphor uh for what paul's talking about couple of strongholds i'm just going to name two that are like this that that set themselves up in our minds and hearts and often we're not aware of them uh, that that resist the truth of the gospel let me just name a couple of them i think one of the very common ones is the false narrative that so many of us have the false narrative of of busyness in our life the narrative that that says in our mind the stronghold that says in our mind and in our hearts i don't have time for the things of the lord i don't have time to consider what's most important in life because there are so many things that are pressing in on me every day that i have to deal with and i have to attend to so the net result of all that is we just live life from one one issue to another and we press out the things and the truth of god maybe someday i'll consider that when i'm older when i have less stress on me guess what it never happens it's a false narrative of busyness we have to be about 
doing this and doing that and taking advantage of this opportunity and being here and going here and being a part of this program. And it pushes out the truth of God. This is a, this is a stronghold, I believe, that so many of us in our world fall under today. And even if you're a Christian believer, you're not immune to, to being oppressed by that kind of stronghold as well. It takes the truth of God to, to destroy that stronghold in our lives, to say no, to be a Mary, to allude to the gospel story where Mary and Martha were uh, hosting Jesus and Mary took time out from the busyness to sit at Jesus' feet. Jesus even talks about, in a way, this, this stronghold where he tells that parable about the rich fool who was just busy about making money and the things of the world. And he said, well, what am I going to do? I'll be build bigger barns and create more busyness for myself and I'll be fine. And the Lord comes to him and says, you fool, you fool. You have not paid attention to what's most important. Now who's going to take all your wealth? It's not going to be you. The false narrative of busyness is a real stronghold in our lives. And just to name one other big stronghold in in our lives, our culture, our mindset, in our hearts, and that is the 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 notion, the stronghold that basically says, I'm basically okay as a person. I'm basically a good person, and therefore God is going to accept me. It is, a, it is a belief, it is a stronghold of belief in our mind, in our culture, that embeds in our hearts, that as long as we're just good enough, that's actually good enough. It's a, it says, as long as my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, as, as long as I've got more of those up here, God's going to see that, and he, I'm going to be fine with him. But see how that that stronghold of thinking focuses on me and my ability and my uh, my attempts to justify myself by being by being better than other people and weighing it out you'll never win under that stronghold it denies the truth of the gospel that says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means no matter how good you think you are, you have fallen short of God's standard. And the fact is that all of us deserve, because of our sins, deserve death and separation from God. All of us do. And the truth of the gospel penetrates that stronghold in our life and that mindset. Those are just two examples of, of key strongholds. You probably can think of others if, if you take time to think and pray about that, or particularly maybe, excuse me, maybe there's one in particular in your life that you recognize or you see in others. Um, there are many others, but to not take any more time today, I just wanted to mention two. These strongholds are very real. They are used by Satan and his his armies to keep us from the truth of God and from the truth of the gospel. And Paul is saying that when we actively work and live in the truth of the gospel, and that is our mode of operation throughout life, 
applying God's word, applying his truth to every situation in our lives and our interactions with others, then those strongholds break down like crumbling fortress walls under the truth of God's word. May God bless you today and build you up in his truth. Amen.